My name is Wazir. And my name is John Muhammad. And this is the Business Building Blocks Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Houston, Texas. Uh, we actually have a great show ahead of us today. We have a guest in the studio. That's right. Go ahead and introduce yourself one time, brother. My name is Dr. Perry Kyles, and um, you know I'm a native Houstonian, citizen of the world. Um, area of specialization is um, African diaspora, and uh, I'm <clears throat> just out of necessity a businessman, so it's great to be here on Business Building Blocks. Right, absolutely. Well, what what was the topic that you wanted to touch on today, and what type of uh, inspiration and information are we going to give our listeners on this beautiful episode? Okay, you know, the Business Building Blocks is a podcast that focuses on business in the black community. Uh, but first of all, when we talk about the black community, you know, we talk about nation building and kingdom building. Right. So it's a particular people that we're trying to develop. So that, that lends itself to uh, racial identity or cultural identity. So in this episode, we want to know about our cultural and, and, and uh, historical identity. So we bring on Dr. Kyle's who is a, a lecturer and a historian to help us in that area. I want to ask you a question. What is the I see we have a book here. What is the title of your book? And uh, can you please give us the inspiration on what made you write this book really quickly? Okay, certainly. The name of the book is Beyond Ma'afa, Black History from Human Origins to Recent Times. So when we say you can go to hold it, show them to sure. it. Yeah. When we say beyond ma'afa, that has a double meaning. That means that when when we talk about ma'afa, that is what the dominant culture usually refers to as slavery. So we want to go beyond ma'afa, meaning that we don't want to begin African history or Black history with slavery. We want to go beyond ma'afa, and then beyond ma'afa also means. We want to go beyond the remnants of slavery as we look at the contemporary world and move it into the future. We want to go beyond just carrying over that negative socialization that we acquired during slavery, go beyond carrying that out of this uh, Piscean age that we're in and march into the new age, march into the Aquarius age, cognizant of the fact that that experience set back not only Africans, but the world, and that we want to move beyond them. Absolutely. I, I had a question. I wanted to bring up a controversial issue. And and we all know that the FBI uh, did the counterintelligence program during the civil rights movement, black power movement, in the 1960s, 1970s, and uh, how that ended up destroying a lot of black organizations. And also... Uh, leadership. Uh, now, under President Trump administration, the FBI has uh, designed uh, targeting the black identity groups, black identity extremist groups. Um, and uh, this whole thing about black identity. And uh, we wanted you to see, uh, could you define what black identity is? And um, and then maybe we can go from there fr trying to figure out how is black identity a threat to the U.S. government. All right, so it's interesting that when we say black identity, what 
you, I mean, we here in this room, we kind of have a little bit of history, not much. Okay. So our idea of black identity is likely compatible. But when we say um, black identity, it's a, a gigantic spectrum under that umbrella. Okay. So let me first say that what Trump uh, or the uh, FBI under Trump, what they mean when they say that, they mean that uh, people who are willing to put their race, mm-hmm. to put their just their their Africanity of head ahead or before their nationality. Okay, that's what they're getting at. So they're they're getting at or and they're getting at anybody who's willing to not go with the flow. Anybody who's willing, in the name of blackness to present some challenge to the to the dominant um culture. I mean, and so I wanted to I wanted to draw down on that comment mm-hmm. that you just talked about the national nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh does that have anything with uh Colin Kaepernick taking the knee and they saying okay you're not un, you're unpatriotic. So if you wear afro or you wear dashiki or if you call yourself black instead of African American, mm-hmm. now you unpatriotic. You anti-white? Well, yes. What Kaepernick is doing has everything to do with that. Now, most people know that this is a capitalist country. So what does that mean? Some people mistakenly believe that that means that it's the land of opportunity, as if in capitalism everybody has a fair shot to to make it rich. That's not what it really means. What it means in reality that the society is controlled and dominated by capitalists. So what happened when Colin Kaepernick took the knee and then got momentum when his uh, teammate, I think it's Eric Reed, and then other people started taking knees throughout. uh, This was last year. Other people started taking a knee. So what you have then is you have something that then puts the, the... the financial, the income mm-hmm. of the team of the NFL and the team leaders in jeopardy because mm-hmm. it's that constitutional right to take a knee. But then um, the people who are watching it, they share they share the same values as Trump. So when they watch it, they say, "Oh well, if the NFL is going to allow them to take a knee, i.e., right. if they're going to actually use their constitutional right, right. then." I'm not, then I'm not going to watch it. So when he did that, it was clear that he was doing this in the name of blackness because he articulated very clearly why he was doing it. He had the Afro and then all of the pictures that they took to him, that they've taken him over the course of the past year, he has some kind of symbolism that's associated with black pride. So that's exactly what's happening. And in black life, because there was unjustified uh, shooting, police brutality, uh, shooting unarmed blacks, and uh, blacks being killed by the police. So he was, he was protesting that. And then we're not getting the justice in courts. None of these uh, officers are being brought to justice for this this crime. That's that's obvious. So, but blacks are not killing whites. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking a knee. I mean, that's more submissive. I would think uh, that that's not a aggressive. Uh, position, and so even if we talk about uh, black culture, black history, um, that's that's not 
compare it to the white supremacists mm -hmm. who are lynching people, who are murdering people, who are slaving people. They're killing people. But if you uh, bring out a book on Africa, Kemet, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 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 how is that extreme? How is that a threat? That's a very good question. And to answer that, um, I... I kind of have to delve a little bit into what I do as a historian. Okay. So um, I first began to study black history in, in elementary school. Actually, I began to study um, archaeology, like fossils and things like that, yes. in elementary school. But as I moved up fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, I had the opportunity to do some summer programs at Shape Community Center and. They focused on ethics, but they also focused a lot on appreciation of black culture and and uh, <clears throat> and that kind of thing. So I went into learning how to be a historian with that um, behind with that behind me. Okay. So what I noticed is that in the historical profession, when it comes to writing black history or African diaspora history, it's um, it's uns unspoken that you must make your work palatable to the dominant culture. So when I say that, I mean that you must make it acceptable to the dominant culture. You can't make them feel uncomfortable. You can't, you know, in what's in your book and what's in your presentation, have them fidgeting. And um, <clears throat> that, is the, that is a way to ensure that your work does not become popular, right? So what well, I let do... Me, let me ask you mm -hmm. about that point. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole Darwin theory of evolution, mm -hmm. where they show man coming from apes, and then you got the caveman, and then I, I never see the African in that. You know, then it's an upright white man, but I mm -hmm. never see the African in that, in that line from the ape to the man, but I assume that they say that the African savage is somewhere close to that ape. <laughs> and then their theory of man's evolution is that they, uh, they're going from primitive to the most intelligent man being the white man, but the primitive man being the black man. And, and, and if your history does not match their science, is that what you mean by making them comfortable? Uh, that, and in addition to that, what I mean is... Um, writing black history in a vacuum, meaning writing black history history as if the the black experience is unaffected by exterior factors. When we know, especially in the Americas, in continental Africa, after um, the 18th century and after and after that, we know that the experience is overwhelmingly affected by external factors. Right. So if in my book, Beyond My Alpha, is I show the African effort to establish themselves, create um, stability and organize. And I also show the explicit and the subversive um, attempt to undermine that um, that effort. And, and, and I'll say there's one of the most important things that came out in my research is that every time you see the African experience undermined, it's always because of some collaborative effort between the exterior forces, mm -hmm. Asians and Europeans, and some, um, some African 
who collaborates yeah. with that exterior force. So that's important to mention because I, my students um, at the universities, they always want to know if what I say is true, then how could it be that uh, foreigners can march into Africa or undermine right. uh, black America from Canada all the way to Uruguay, right, to Paraguay? Right. Well, the reason why is because of that specific group. Until the African world deals seriously with that group, the internal um, compromisers and collaborators, right. progress is going to be slow. Yeah. So, so where you want to get started in the history? Because you, 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 your book here is not just an African history book, but it's human history. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know about anthropology and archaeology. Uh, the first bones or the oldest bones uh, that was found, human remains, were found there in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, does that science line up with uh, what we talked about, this Darwin theory where, uh, but but those... Are you asking him for him, what is, what is the beginning? Yeah, what is where the beginning? Where do we start? Where do we start? Yeah. If, well, the, the pieces of, of evidence that yield the most information is genetic evidence and fossil um, evidence. Um, so <clears throat> the genetic, both the genetic, genetic evidence and the fossil evidence goes back to about 300,000 years. Okay. All right. So, so you can go in and look at the fossil evidence from Morocco. It'll come out to like 314 years or something like that. And then you can look at the genetic evidence from the western part of um, what is today like Nigeria, and it'll also go back to about that um, that same time. Now, um, as far as that same image that we've all seen <laughs> with the ape, <laughs> right, right, going, you have an ape, and then next thing you know, you have a white man. Right. That is a very misleading. Because um, I mean, you can look at um, so many animals, not not only. Um, mammals, but you can look at a range of animals and you can see that they kind of have a common origin. They have this mouth in front. They have the two eyes, right? Mm. And that relates to, our, that is because of our origin coming from the water, right? From a, a, in a single cell organism, ultimately you have the um, water, um, the organisms coming onto the earth who eventually leads to our ancestors who um, are mammals. Now about Seven million years ago, we have this this single primate um, ancestor, yeah. and so from that point, we have a lineage that leads to to Homo sapiens, leads to us being here, and then you have a completely different path that leads to apes and, and orangutans, monkeys, and all of that type of thing. So we did not originate from them, mm -hmm. even though we can clearly see that we have a, a common origin. Now, as now, far now this is this is a theory. This this evolution science mm -hmm. is a theory. Mm -hmm. It's not a proven fact, right? Well, because it may not it may not be consistent. This 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 theory is not proven. It's a is a theory. Darwin's theory, right? Uh, well, what I'm what I'm saying, I guess it's it's not. In, it's not necessarily incompatible with Darwin's, Darwin's theory because Darwin was concerned primarily with 
who survives and who doesn't survive. Not Survival ne- of the fittest. Right. Not necessarily with what what um, actually happened, the, the history of primates or, or anything like that. So when that tree, um, when, when you see that tree with the animals and then eventually the, the white person, um, that if that was to be accurate, then you would see the European way down the line and then as humanity emerges that that would be an an african so um according to i mentioned some findings i mentioned several different things we would we if we went back let's say um, a million years ago and we found the origins of humanity we would not find um non-blacks non-melanated humans until maybe 75,000 years ago. So that means of all of that time, that means it's all black. And then 75,000 years ago, you have an Asian. And then only um, 20,000 years ago, you have what we call a European or or a white. But like when you talked about the uh, survival of the fittest, Mm -hmm. uh, that has to be a, a, a flaw in his theory that the white man is the uh, the most superior at the end of that chain because the white is actually recessive, is weak. Black is dominant, so the black genes are dominant. So we have the most dominant traits, and it's proven in athletics. So so part of the, the, the flaw is that the that white man can't be at the end of evolution, being the most survival of the fittest when he's not fit. He's recessive. Well, it's proof. He's a mutation. He's a mutation right. of he's the a- original. And so he's not superior, not intellectually, not physically. No way. Maybe he may be superior in evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, in murder and destruction. But he not, he's not uh, superior uh, intellectually or physically or uh, scientifically. All right. Well, you say that it's proven in sports and it is clearly proven in sports because, um, you know, sports, there's a cameraman, there's 50,000 fans, <laughs> everybody's watching, right? So it's, right. they still cheat, but it's a little bit difficult to, to cheat. I mean, you have these set of rules. So wherever you have a meritocracy, wherever it's based on merit and not based on family connection, skin, color, etc., then you're going to have the high-achieving um, African. So it's not just sports. Um, you can kind of—I see it um, all the time in the um, academic world or in the the business world where you have the high-achieving black, but that's because that person had an imagination and they were able to um, combine that imagination with um, ethic, work ethic, and perseverance. So— um, and then there are other things to that validates your point. For example, when we a lot of the regression that we see in human culture, you'll find that the dominant culture always say, "Oh, well, that's human nature." Whenever you point to European transgressions against humanity, they always say, "Oh, well, that's human nature." They say that is human nature because it because it is the nature of Europeans. So what I show in my book is why is it that humanity's greatest attribute is our capacity to work together? If you look at humanity from the, from the time of our beginnings on this planet, 
you'll find that we succeeded in working together against mm-hmm. extraordinary threats. And then we we succeeded in passing down information. So he so this, like for example, you have experiences, you write that information down. Right. You leave behind what's called a culture. Right. And then your offspring can benefit um, from that. So humanity is very successful in that in that regard and has been. Now when you look at the European ex- experience, what you see, you see you see more individuality. Mm-hmm. To explain, I can kind of explain this simply. Whereas over the course of human history, our strength is in collaboration. The European has a a certain fear mm-hmm. of insignificance, a, a fear of ha- not having enough resources. So what do they force themselves to do? To control resources and contr- physically control a population. And, and that physical control for them creates stability. Now, if you'll see in popular culture, now everybody's talking about rape culture, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, what I, this is so amazing to me because they never, they are never able in public discourse to trace this back to, to Greece and Rome and how the Romans uh, colonized the whole circum. Uh, Mediterranean and how those Mediterranean populations, including the Spaniards, Portuguese, and and British, when they colonized other places, they took with them the same mindset of of, of rape as a form of a form of domination, and that has a lot to do with um, the um, homosexuality that we see in European culture. Also, we're, we're going to come back to that point. We want to do some sponsorships at this time. Um, but we definitely want to come back to white supremacy. We haven't talked about it yet and racism and how that played a role in uh, human human uh, evolution. Uh, but uh, we have to pay some bills. One of the things we wanted to talk about in terms of sponsorship is nationproducts.com. Nation Products has been, our, uh, been with us since the beginning of business building blocks. And uh, we all knew Nation Products' Facebook page. But Nation Products has launched a website. It's nationproducts.com. Go check nationproducts.com, and you have titles. And one of the recent books we had a guest on um, a couple of episodes ago, Attorney Warren F. Muhammad, um, he wrote a book, A Case for Separation. That book is now available at nationproducts.com. We brought it up. We mentioned it on the show, and now we made it a reality. Uh, nationproducts.com Also You can find Children books On nationproducts.com The famous Word search book We talk a, a lot about um, I think doctor you, you, When you had your store Over in the heart Of the black community In Martin Luther King Boulevard You carried uh, Nadine Muhammad's book Famous Blacks in America That book sold like hotcakes it's, it's, <laughs> That book it, sold it's, it's very popular in, mm-hmm. in, in private charter schools, and it's a, it's a, it's a, each puzzle is a puzzle versus book, mm-hmm. and each puzzle um, focuses on a black figure in, in, in history and our culture. And as that student solved the puzzle, now they learn something about that figure, mm-hmm. and they learn something about themselves. And we believe that it builds their self-esteem. If they see their ancestors accomplishing great things, then they know that they can accomplish great things. 
So that's identity again, mm-hmm. black identity. And it's, it's a threat now mm-hmm. to the FBI and the Trump administration. Uh, also, um, can, I, can I say something else about this particular book? Go ahead. Yeah. What I, what I really liked about this, this book were the individuals that Mrs. Muhammad chose to highlight in this book. Because I noticed sometimes when it comes to children, we, we just encourage them to study the people that are famous and say this person made it. But that, that person's may be com- actions may become very destructive. Right. But I, I like the, just the, the choices that were made with this book. And it's just like a, and it very well done. I mean, I'm an, an expert in books. Oh, <laughs> you know? okay. I'm so not... it's very well done. I from content it. and presentation. She has a, uh, she has a, a history in uh, teaching, mm, teaching okay. elementary school children. Mm-hmm. So it was really, uh, you know, when when students finish their lesson, you want to give them uh, activities that keep them engaged. And uh, she, she, that was really started out as handouts that she used when she taught children in elementary school. Uh, so also this uh, a book about Barack Obama, uh, children's book on Barack Obama. You can receive, you can find that book on nationproducts.com. And also we living in a time of media bias in media. Trump's calls it um, fake media, fake news, and. Uh, also, uh, on another network, they talk about corporate-sponsored news. I think uh, Fox is, is is sponsored by the conservatives. Uh, but we have, uh, as a public service announcement, the final call newspaper. This is a newspaper that's published by us. Uh, Minister Farrakhan uh, publishes the final call in the nation of Islam. But it covers news throughout the black community, nationally and internationally. Uh, you can find uh, stories covered in the Caribbean and also in Africa. Definacall.com. And these are facts. This news is facts. It's not fake. It's not corporate sponsored. And also, a lot of times in the media, you'll find that we are demonized. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the young man that was shot, he was unarmed. You know, but the media choose to say, well, what was his record? Did he have any drugs in his system? Mm-hmm. You know, what's his criminal record? Everybody find where he was arrested, put his mug shot up there. Wait a second, he's the victim. Mm-hmm. What about that the the person that shot him, the the, the crooked officer? You know, mm-hmm. the rogue cop. You know, did he have any drugs in his system? So, let us begin to support black media. That's thefinalcall.com. and I I don't think we mentioned it enough. The economic blueprint. You know, this is the business building blocks. And we believe that every business or the business, uh, the economy of the black community will be served by the economicblueprint.org, the fund launched by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan to acquire farmland. This farmland, we want to start with 200 million acres, will serve as an economic basis for economic development in the black community. And we only ask them for five cents a day. That's a nickel a day. And in a week, that's 35 cents a week. Mm-hmm. In a year, that turns out to be like $18.20 a year. Collectively, uh, if we all pool our resources collectively, we can generate millions of dollars for farmland and economic development. We can begin to feed ourselves. We can begin to clothe ourselves. And we begin to build our own housing and be, uh, build industry. 
That's economicblueprint.org. And of course, Wazir's music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go, go. Uh, I recently dropped a single about three weeks ago. Uh, you can go check that out on uh, Tidal, Apple Music, everywhere you listen to music. You can also follow me on all social media. Oh, you can get my last album, Photon Fever. That's on there, you know, so y'all check that out. And uh, just support. There's more work coming. I'm feeding my audience every other week now, so stay tuned. Follow me on Instagram at W-A-Z-E-E-R underscore, and let's just keep building it. All right, then. We can get back to the subject at hand. Uh, we, You know, uh, I like the work of Dr. Francis Chris. Uh, Dr. Um, Francis Chris Welsing. What was it? Uh, the um, population when she talked about white supremacy and racism. Yeah, and fear of genetic annihilation. Genetic yes. annihilation. So mm-hmm. he was talking about uh, the origins of this uh, white supremacy because I don't think it always existed uh, where, where, where whites dominated their culture, their civilization dominated. Uh, there were African cultures before slavery, uh, before the Europeans came and in, 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 uh, dominated Africa. Were, were there African civilizations? Oh, that was a question? Yeah, that's a question. If you could talk about <laughs> the origins, basically to give us a, a background. That's because, a- because I was told in high school, I went to my history teacher, uh, taking world history, mm-hmm. and we never did get to Africa. We started in China, we, right. we went to Europe, and we end up in America. And I say, you know, when are we going to get to Africa? He say, what do you mean? I say, we didn't talk about Africa none of this time. He said it was a dark continent. Mm-hmm. Well, in, now, in, in the dominant culture, the, the practice is to point to the, the white Arabs as the origins of things like um, slavery and the notion of, uh, of black inferiority. But what's intriguing about that in um, Arabia, the, in the 7th century um, uh, coming era, AD, 8th century AD, you have a, a clash of, of blacks and whites, or whatever you want to call it, um, Africans and, and um, Asians. And um, one of the best places to find information about that is a book by um, El Jahiz called The Glory of the Blacks Over the Whites. So what's happening um, during that time is you have basically the world is Africa. If you look at the tropics and the subtropics, um, it's black, wherever they're cultivating crops and respecting women and children and not raping them and all of that, for the most <laughs> part, is black, right? Right. So you have populations that come from less fertile environments and they come with a culture and they've had that culture for hundreds of thousands of years since their emergence um, uh, on earth. Well, not at that point, not hundreds of thousands of years, but probably about about um, 25 or 30,000 years. <clears throat> and, and when they come, they bring the, um, the idea of, I'll just say, of uh, what we call today misog- misogyny. The whole idea that women are inferior and if they're not oppressed and suppressed, then that's going to lead to problems. Um, children are problematic because, oh, they're just making us have to work harder <laughs> to, to feed everybody, right? So when, when uh, Alexander mm-hmm. comes out of Europe 
And he's coming from Macedonia, which means that even he is having some issues with the Greeks. He has to colonize the Greeks before he can even come into Egypt. And it's the Greeks that's saying, oh, well, what is... What are you doing, um, Alexander? What are you doing listening to this Plato and all of this? Well, reason why Alexander is coming into Egypt is because he's aware of the fact that for them to become civilized, for the Greeks who are the symbolic Europeans at the time, Mm -hmm. the only way that they can come into civilization is by education and socialization Mm -hmm. by the Africans, who are the Alexandrian Africans at that time. So that's really that's really when the two cultures bec- began to to clash. Mm-hmm. Now the whole idea of white of white supremacy as you mentioned earlier, it comes along um a significant time um later. So you have you have slavery all over the place. The Greeks and Romans have slavery and they justify their slavery by saying that the blacks, the whites, the reds, the orange, the pinks, all of these people that they enslave by saying that somehow they are they are subpar, they're less mm-hmm. than human, they're uncivilized. That's a justification. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of race being a justification for slavery, the whole idea of whites being superior to dark-skinned um, people, then that happens between the time of 500 A.D. and 1500 A.D. Mm-hmm. Now, what's happening there during this time? Two factors that are inextricably related. Okay. The first thing is the colonization and uh, the establishment of uh, sugar plantations in the Mediterranean. Colonization and establishment of sugar plantations in the island in the Caribbean, in, in, I mean, in the um, Atlantic. And with that, at the exact same time, is the establishment of Christianity as we know it. Okay. So these two factors um, go hand in hand because let's, let's give you an example. By the time we get to the year 1555, mm-hmm. the Americas has already been colonized by the, the Spaniards. The Portuguese are beginning to ha- cast a covetous eye on the world, chasing the, uh, the the Spaniards. And so they have these plantations, these sugar plantations. They're beginning to make a little bit of money, but they have to justify this. So you have this church official by the name of Bartolome de las Casas, mm. who in 1555, he's saying, well, you all, you have killed off so many of the Native Americans. What, what you're doing to these Native Americans is, is just inhumane. No longer do this. However, he said in 1555, your enslavement of these Africans are justified because why? Take a guess. They're savages. They're the descendants of the Hamites, yes. Right. Oh, that, that's when the Hamitic <laughs> curse was, yeah. was brought up. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, but, but it was a, it's something about religion, and, and uh, I remember the Roots movie. Uh, I think Alex Haley, uh, in the movie, they, they tried to portray history in a symbolic way mm-hmm. where they, they mixed a lot of things up into one scene mm-hmm. where they was chasing Kunta Kinte. The, the the band of people that was chasing him, you had an Arab, you had a white whites, and you had uh, other Africans, and they all participated in capturing him. But I'm I'm thinking they was just 
trying to uh, include history in a scene, but actually you had Arab slavery and 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 slavery um, um, in the Muslim world, um, and then you had the Christian uh, slavery in the New World uh-huh. in Europe in the New World. So, but but I didn't hear about the Crusades. Uh-huh. You know, you had the Roman Empire and Rome adopting Christianity. And you talked about the Greeks going into Egypt or Kemet, uh, and they entering Africa at that point because Egypt is in Africa. Uh-huh. But then wasn't there a, a war between the, the Muslim Empire and the Christian Empire, the Crusades? Uh-huh. And didn't that affect the whole purpose of why they was trying to get they was trying to go west to go east to India. Uh yes. So when we talk about the Crusades, that the now the Crusades took place from about 1095 AD to about 1291 okay. AD. And this this is a clash of the Christian world under the Romans and a clash of the Muslim world. So this is the Muslim under the Arab effort to reclaim um, Jerusalem, right, which was overtaken by um, the Romans, right? So ultimately, though, despite all of these details, it's an economic war that's transpiring. Oh, I never heard it talked about. (laughs) Well, I I know they had to do trade, Mm -hmm. trade with India, trade with China, trade with the Far East. So is that the economy, trade, the economic piece? To, To control Trade. Oh, okay. Yes, absolutely. So, in when this war ends in twelve ninety one, uh, and and soon um, after that, you have the collapse of a different empire, which is the Mongol um, Empire. Okay. So, when all of these collapses, do you know what they're doing? They're creating vulnerable communities. Well, so, I, I wanted to when you said Mongol, I don't, I don't know if the audience is familiar. Kublai Khan, Genghis Khan, mm-hmm. and the whole creation of China. Mm-hmm. These are nations, and, and some of these nations, uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, the part of the world that we don't learn much about. So a Mongol, what is a Mongol? A, a Mongol is an, is an ethnic, ethnic group, okay. all right, um, within what we would call today um, um, China. Okay. It's a, a specific um, ethnic Slash genetic, you know, linguistic group. And they were a little bit different than some of the um, the Chinese um, kingdoms in that they were marauders, you know. They were, no uh, yeah, they no were on horseback. And, uh, you know, they were adept at life in the steppes and in the desert and, uh, and things like that. Uh, <clears throat> so they... They, territorially speaking, I believe they may, they probably have the the largest uh, empire in the history of the world. Okay. All right. So they were a big deal. When they collapsed, that means all of those territories that were formerly under their control no longer has a supreme dominant um, overlord, mm-hmm. which makes those communities vulnerable. And this is why in 1291, you see the rise of slavery as we know it, where you have the the capitalist, he's buying humans from different places, forcing them onto labor, 
in um, on um, islands creating sugar. So that first takes place in the Mediterranean before it even takes place in the Atlantic world. And all of those people who are captives on those plantations are white, red, orange, black, pink, red, green, all the various um, religions, all at the hands of people from um, like Venice, the, 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 the small nation states, okay. the small Italian nation states. Venice and places like that are the very first uh, capitalist cities, very first um, occasions where capitalists took over the government Mm -hmm. and organized everything to suit themselves. That is what Great Britain, Spain, and Portugal was chasing. They were trying to be like that. That's what they were trying to replicate. Okay, I'm I'm trying to get my uh, mind in terms of chronology. Chronologically, uh, you had the Greeks, you had the Romans, and then you had the the dark period, what they call it, the dark ages. And I know uh, before the Renaissance, or uh, what caused the Renaissance, were the Moors who came from North Africa mm-hmm. into Europe, and they they brought about a Renaissance. Mm-hmm. But the Moors ruled for about 700 years in in Europe. Mm -hmm. And it was after the decline of Moors that Christopher Columbus came out and uh, went on on to the New World. Yes. But the blacks were already in Europe for 700 years. So, yeah. So you have two distinct timelines, two different things that are taking place at the same time. You have a, a European world. Okay. which about 500 A.D. or so, right? So once, t- once the Goths destroy um, Rome, you, um, that is the beginning of the European, what they call medieval or dark ages or whatever they want to call that. That mm-hmm. takes place for about um, a, a little bit over a thousand years. Now, what's taking place in continental Africa is significantly different because you have, you still, you have what I would call the second golden age of Africa. So even though you have things where like they forget knowledge in Europe, things are just crazy and chaotic in Europe, correspondingly, it's not that way in continental Africa. So that's, that's why I'm slow to use the term um, Middle Ages or Dark Ages to relate to the African experience because that's during that time you have high culture. You like, have like, this, like the Timbuktu. Oh, absolutely. Timbuktu was mm-hmm. was was a great learning center mm-hmm. in West Africa, mm-hmm. and uh, they had great libraries, great literature. We did have written histories, mm-hmm. not just in Egypt. Mm-hmm. But even in the West Coast, and, the, and we didn't get a chance to talk about South Africa. I have a question. Why do you consider it the Golden Age? And what was going on, and what qualifies that time to be the Golden Age? Great right? question. <clears throat> All right, so about 500 A.D., about the exact same time that the Roman Empire is collapsing, you have the emergence of an empire um, called um, Ghana the ancient empire of of Ghana. And the foundation of what they do is based on stability, um, agriculture, having a a common value system that everybody follows. You'll see that whenever you have the rise of an African empire, you have the same thing. You have um, agriculture, which means they're economically efficient. Um, 
And then you have a common code of ethics, a common value system. And over the course of hundreds of years, they became an empire. So just to explain what I mean by that, much of the time when we say empire, we, we tend to think about colonization and they're coming with horses and swords and, and subjugating everybody. Well, in, in these cases, it's largely for the, pay, the purpose of stability and um, also just the fair distribution of things like food, right? Not to say that the, the higher um, classes of people don't have more food, don't have more gold and that type of thing, but the, the objective is, is stability. So from that, from that empire, you have an even larger um, empire that comes on about a, a thousand or so when the year 1000 or so and begins to establish themselves. And that group, that nation, is called um, the nation of Mali, established by the Malinke people. And then uh, a couple of hundred, I mean, a couple of hundred years after that, then you have the rise of the Sungai Empire. And the reason why this is called the Golden Age it's just because of the sophistication, like um, Brother Muhammad mentioned. He mentioned the um, the writings of Timbuktu and the fact that Timbuktu was the premier um, educational center at the wor- in the world at that time. Then you have the distribution of gold. But just above in, in West Africa, just above the area where, you, where it's very fertile, just above that, we ha- that's called what is called the Sahel. And from that region... You have the um, gold mines that other people in you know throughout the world um, long to get a taste of. So for those two reasons, the the gold mines that everybody appreciate and the high culture exemplified by places like Timbuktu is the reason why we call that the second golden age. And you, that's a gigantic contrast to what you see going on in Europe um, at that time. We, yeah. we we definitely gonna have to have you back because we cannot. I'm exhausted. A, I want to read so, that book. Is, is this all you cover all of this in the book? Yeah, or things are. Yeah, weird? these things that I'm that I'm talking about are addressed in the book. In, in, in this book, I think the greatest success of this book is that I was able to do it in 300 pages with 13 point font. <laughs> you know, mm. that, could, that, you, could, could you give us a website or how can we acquire your book and, and and give us a title also? Okay, well the title of this book is Beyond. Ma'afa, and Ma'afa is spelled M-A-A-F-A. So Ma'afa is a Swahili word. It, it means um, great disaster, but we don't use the word. I don't use the word slavery because I want to discourage people from using the word slave trade. Those were not slaves on the ship. Those were captives, right? So um, the name of the book is Beyond Ma'afa, Black History from Human Origins to Recent Times. And then it has on the cover Black History for the 21st century. And uh, people always ask me, who is the man on the cover of this book? <laughs> well, his, this is not Frederick Douglass. His name is Dangerfield Newby. And okay. when you see the movie Django right. with um, Jamie Foxx, the Django character that Jamie Foxx is playing, his character is based on the life of Dangerfield Newby, where Dangerfield Newby actually organized an army to go and get his wife and seven children out of slavery because so she's... That, a, that was true. I didn't know that Django part was true. Was true. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so how could they acquire it? You got a uh, website... 
Well, you can acquire this book on uh, on Amazon. I'm I'm working on an independent website. Maybe I'll um, also look into Nation Products. But right now, you can acquire this book on um, Amazon.com. Uh, and then also, um, I'm I'm trying to. I'm well. I'm establishing an online educational center, which is called um, Spirit of Africa Online Educational Center. And I'm doing a GoFundMe um, fundraiser. So for the people who contribute um, $30, they will get a copy of this book, Beyond My Alpha. So you can go to Amazon, you can go to um, Spirit of Africa on um, GoFundMe, or you can uh, contact me directly at 832-409-4193, which is, again, and, and that's 832. Could 832. you give us the spelling of your name? Sure. It's uh, P-E-R-R-Y, Perry, last name, Kyles, K-Y-L. L E S and um the you, book you do a PhD now yeah yeah Perry Kyle's PhD <laughs> this is a doctor he's a scholar right. I just want to make that sure <laughs> I mean make that plain we we definitely want to support your your GoFundMe uh, fundraiser and uh, we go out and get the book I mean we we was only scratching the surface and we kind of moving kind of fast we want to make a couple of announcements um but definitely and if you're on social media. We'll share your your ads. Okay. We got a business building block mm-hmm. Facebook page and um, Twitter page and, and, and social media pages where we share ads. Uh, but this week, coming to Houston, is Dr. Wesley Muhammad. Uh, he's famous for his lectures on the assault on black manhood and masculinity, his his uh, the chemicalization, the chemicalization or feminization of the black man through uh, things like marijuana, the loud, the weed, however you want to call it. Uh, they have enhanced the marijuana so that it now chemically feminizes the black male. And there's also other uh, chemicals and vaccinations and other drugs that does that also. It feminizes the male and they masculize the female. He's going to explain all that in detail at the Shape Community Center here in Houston on November the 17th and 18th, that's Friday and Saturday, at 6 p.m. on both days. And you can get tickets, uh, and you can call this number at 832-453-5588. Again, that's 832-453-5588. Also... uh, Minister Farrakhan, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, is doing a press conference. He's going to be addressing President Trump directly in Washington, D.C. at the uh, Watergate Hotel. And that's going to be this Thursday, November 16th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And go to the website, uh, www.noi.org. That's the... uh, the web page, the home web page of the Nation of Islam. That's NOI.org. Again, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan press conference where he addressed uh, President Trump and uh, at the Watergate Hotel. It's going to be November 16th, uh, this Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, we have any other announcements? Oh, let me say, now... I imagine that the people in the Nation of Islam are familiar with Dr. Um, Wesley uh, Muhammad. Okay. Right. I, 
I'm fairly certain that there are a number of people who are not familiar okay. with him yet. Now, I'm familiar with his work because he wrote one book called Black Arabia. And um, I, I actually mention it in my book because it was important to me to show that difference between those blacks, right? Those Semites right. who went into Arabia versus the non-African, non-blacks who come and basically hijacked the culture. And um, he talks about that. Um, Dr. I mean, uh, Drusilla Dungy Houston in her famous book, uh, Wonderful Ethiopians, talk about that. So um, he has several books and I'm, I'm familiar with um, Black Arabia and I'm, I'm appreciative that somebody is doing that particular body of research because that means I don't have to do it. You got somebody well, else well, working and, uh, Another controversial issue is that the LG, what is that? Gay, lesbian, transvestite, those people. Oh yeah, the homo, <laughs> the homophobic group. They are against the pro-homophobic group. Mm -hmm. I don't know the homosexual agenda. They are against Dr. Wesley speaking at the Shape Community Center. Mm -hmm. They came out uh, very mm -hmm. strongly against him and the Shape Community Center for allowing that to take place, and that's going to be at the, what what location is that? At the 3903 Almeda Road. That's the Shape Community Center, 3903 uh, Almeda Road, Houston, Texas, 77004. And uh, let's support the brother, if you believe, in the strong black manhood, strong black womanhood, strong black culture. Mm -hmm. uh, we are being assaulted. By the FBI, if we want to have a black identity, knowledge yourself, you know, if we want to learn our culture, uh, we, we didn't mention Afrocentricity, mm -hmm. uh, African-centered education somehow is a threat now to these uh, white supremacists, and it's a threat now to the gay mm -hmm. and the lesbian and transvactite and pedophiles or whatever they are. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a threat to them. So it's a battle. It's a battle of cultures. It's all over again. You talked about the battle of civilization. So mm -hmm. uh, let's support the effort. Uh, you want to close us out, uh, Wazir? Well, this has been the Business Building Blocks podcast. Uh, y'all definitely have the blocks now. <laughs> <laughs> well, get to building. Thank y'all for listening. This has been another great episode. Thank you again for coming, Brother Perry. Oh, it's, Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. <laughs> Welcome Happy back, and we'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace.